think it's a bit funny. It's like the minute the recording button goes off, everything starts to feel weird. It's like if someone could record our mental sessions behind the scenes, I think I would never feel the way I do right now. <laughs> we'll get into it and pretty soon you'll forget that it's being recorded, so it wouldn't worry too much yeah. about it. Uh, uh, but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, geez, I'm hanging on by my fingertips for the end of the year. Uh, I think I said to you previously, mm-hmm. it's... Um, it's felt like a, year, a long year somehow. On the one hand, the last couple mm. of months seem like they've flown by. Uh, on the other hand, mm. it just seems like this year has lasted forever. So, so yes, a few more weeks to go, and I'm very much looking forward to my break. Yeah. Can you? All right, that's pretty exciting. Um, how am I feeling? Um, I feel like, I actually feel like this is actually a very interesting feeling. Um, and you, you highlighted the last time we spoke. Um, I have a lot of food on my plate and it's like I decided to go get more food before year end and my year end fatigue is like coming in and then I just like have to keep chewing through this thing. <laughs> so I'm feeling like I really need to like push hard enough to meet my deadlines. And apart from that, I'm feeling, feeling great. I'm feeling great. And the, the, back, the background you see behind me. Yeah, the background. Your background is great. Same, oh, yeah. Eat the different one yeah. chunk, one bite at a time. Yeah, definitely. And the background you see behind me is a result of a few sequences, a sequence of events that took place this morning, like from mm-hmm. the electricity to how the office is like. And this is actually down the road from the office. And I was like, you know what? Um, this works perfectly for visual, from a visual aspect, where the podcast is concerned. I was like, you know what? Great. Um, if it's anything that's going to like, encapsulate this entire idea why not how do i how do i take it from a point where how do i bring it to or rather how do i bring it to a point where it actually really highlights a day-to-day life of an eoh employee and i was like in the strangest of ways this is what it looks like and yeah yeah so when i got here i was like you know what this is exactly what it looks like so if it captures that moment awesome yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting here on my uh, in my flat on the the uh, enclosed balcony. I live literally 500 meters from an office, uh, one of our offices, and I never go. Yeah, I go have a specific meeting with someone, and ironically, it is usually at the coffee shop downstairs, not in the office itself. And you know, I think the reason for that is, as you know, you're in Joburg, um, other members of our team are in uh, KwaZulu Natal, a couple of members here in Cape Town. But if I go to the office, I'm going to be sitting on Teams calls all day. And then it was be yeah, annoying people around me. So actually, despite living so close, I actually do all my work here. Well, 99% of my work here on the balcony uh, because mm. it just makes sense. I've got the trees, got yeah. the balcony trees. So it kind of feels like I'm in nature, even though, uh, even though the windows are, well, actually one window is open. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And actually, here's a very interesting question, right? Um, yeah. How's it been? for you um like running rocket lab and i say that because we've been a fully um work from home team we've barely even met each other most of us and it's like how do you how do you drive that from your perspective how do you push it so well that it's like it it, it literally came out of nowhere and it's slowly but surely manifesting and it's growing how does that look like for you as alex 
Cool. So, I mean, Rocket Lab really came into being probably about three years ago now, uh, officially two years ago, but, uh, but yeah, really about three years ago. Um, and, you know, from the start, it's always had people who are based not just in a single area. So from the start, we've always had people here in Joburg. Uh, Durban came a little bit later. Um, and for me, I always sort of feel that like the work from anywhere movement should have happened earlier. I'm very <laughs> amused to see that Zoom is actually making their employees go back to the office. But I think people work best when you accommodate them and let them work in the way that makes sense for them. Um, so when we were putting the team together, and I think we're lucky we've got a really great, really strong team, but I really buy into that idea of self-managed teams. Um, I believe in a very hands-off management and leadership style. Um, but as you know, you guys always know that I'm there if you need me, um, but I'm not there to tell you what to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I'm here to back you guys up and I'm here to look at things strategically and uh, bring you guys the interesting things. Um, I've always said uh, to my team is you don't want me getting involved in your day-to-day -day work because if I am, then there's a big problem. And that's really what worked well for us, I think, is that you, you guys have had the room to do things in a way that makes sense for you. And I mean, just for me, um, I actually, I have ADHD, um, which means that I cannot sit down and work straight for eight hours a day, every day. Occasionally I can do it, but I'm going to burn out if I try and do that every day. Instead, I work little, I work uh, short periods of time. I might work, you know, before the kids wake up at like four in the morning. I might do some work late at night, but I work on a schedule that works for me. Um, obviously, meetings notwithstanding. And I think, you know, if, if, if I'm getting better results from myself by giving myself a bit of flexibility, then quite frankly, giving you guys the flexibility to work in a way that makes sense to you is just a no brainer. Hmm. Yeah, no. That's a, like, like, that's, that's actually, I find that to be quite interesting because, um, it's like, it, it, it almost feels as if, um, the whole work from home, like, for example, actually, let me ask you this. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, were you still going to drive it the same way? It's an interesting one because I think if it wasn't for COVID, we probably still would have had more of our EOH offices, which meant that, if Rocket Lab was a thing, it probably would have been a regional thing. So they probably would have been Rocket Lab Cape Town. They probably would have been Rocket Lab, uh, Rocket Lab Johannesburg. Um, cause that's just the way that EOH kind of worked. Um, at least in where we were, where I was sitting in the IOCO side, um, mm. pre 2020. I think what the pandemic did for us as EOH was it actually enabled us to work much more closely with our brethren around the country. Um, and broke down a lot of the, um, a lot of the barriers between us. And that's not just in terms of the, um, the generally friendly rivalries between, uh, between the regions, but it just gave us a chance to work in a way we hadn't previously. Um, you know, clients notwithstanding and obviously understanding that a lot of our people are in client sites and need to be there and obviously fit, fit according to the client, where the client works. But I think when you have the opportunity to do things differently, um, and I think if I'd had to pick knowing what I know now, I would rather have mm. had a, a team that's spread out across the country and even, you know, across the globe, um, just because it gives us much more access to more views, more people, more talent. Mm. And that's really what I found so great is it's not about, you know, I'm hiring you because you live here in Cape Town. I've got you on my team because you're the best person for the job. 
Yeah. Okay. So um, so like from a lower level, it's like I'm just like diving a bit deeper into this thing. It's like, do you do you feel like, or rather, do you believe that the various influences, especially from an environmental perspective, so like we're all like a product of our environment, right? So based on Midrand, my load shedding problems, as well as like traffic, whatever, but all these different things play a role into the smallest things, like how my final line of code looks like. So do you feel like if you have a bunch of people that are influenced by different environments that would either like what drive uh, productivity or drive creativity, like how does that then start to feed into how it is that you see the vision for Rocket Lab looking like? So that's quite interesting, sort of looking at, at the environment for creativity and productivity, because I think at the end of the day, we're sort of talking a little bit about innovation when we're talking about that. Um, so I'm going to sort of come quickly with my definition of innovation and then lead it back to the creativity and productivity and environment side. Um, and if you look in the scientific research, there are over 60 definitions for innovation. Um, I usually use the one that says innovation is doing the same old thing differently or same old thing better usually for a financial gain. can be a social gain, but generally for a financial gain. Nothing's um, new under the sun. No, no. You know, I mean, everyone talks like, what about disruptive <laughs> innovation? They talk about Uber. Well, yeah, but it's still transporting people from A to B. So, yes, yeah. they do it in a different way, but it's still just transporting people from A to B. Um, yeah. So, you know, based on that, I think that having different environments means that people have different problems. And what mm. is creativity, what is um, even productivity, what is innovation? It's ultimately making things easier for ourselves. It's ultimately solving problems. Creativity obviously becomes a little bit more broad than that because you can create something just for the joy of it. Um, but a lot of the times it's saying, okay, you know, I am here at home. Um, I have my children running around all the time and they're very, very noisy. So what do I do about that? Okay, I'm now going to build a noise cancelling app for my computer so that when I'm on a call, they can't hear the kids. And I mean, that's obviously mm. not something I built, but that's we, we've seen that coming out of Microsoft. We've seen that coming out of companies like Crisp, where they've built in these artificial intelligence bots that pick up noise and cancel mm. and block out the bits that, that aren't relevant for your video calls. So you're going to, when you've got people who are, in the office versus working at home, when you've got people who are in rural areas versus in city areas, everyone comes with a slightly different perspective and everyone comes with a slightly different way of working. Which people with kids, you go to mm. people without kids, which people with housemates or wives or husbands or boyfriends, girlfriends, partners. Everyone has something that's slightly different. But when you put all of those together in the melting pot, you're going to come up with something better because maybe me having kids and coming up with a way to work around having kids actually works for you because you have roommates coming in uh, every day at the same time and they're really disturbing you when it's normally a work time. Yeah. So maybe something I put in place is going to work for you. So, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm all about having people with different different experiences, even if it's on that very micro level, just because you get, you get better ideas, you get better insights. Um, I think there's nothing mm. worse than when you get to a point where everyone is thinking the same thing, everyone is doing the same thing, because that's actually how you get left behind. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and here's an interesting one. Um, how does your your microbiology past tie together <laughs> with technology? <laughs> I've actually I've actually had this question since since day one. Like, 
um, um, after we'd initially spoken, and you're like, yeah, now we're starting this thing, guys, and I like this part of it. So I'm looking at Alex. And, and actually, funny enough, you made a joke about your surname, and I think this reveals my age, um, and you made a joke about um, Richard Pryor. I didn't know who that was at the time, and I realized, oh, it's a comedian. So I'm trying to figure out who Alex is, and I'm like, how does this tie into this? Like, how does this microbiology past have an influence on where you are now? Cool. So yes, way in the very distant, distant past, um, I uh, yes did indeed study microbiology and genetics at university. Um, I was going to be a scientist. And then I got to my postgrad and realized that actually uh, I didn't want to spend my life in the lab. So I went out, I found a job. Um, I was working then uh, doing sort of some copy editing and some print production work for uh, back in the day, you actually used to have printed catalogs. We're only talking around the year 2003-ish, so it wasn't that long ago, long enough. Um, but you actually used to have printed catalogs, which you could then choose items out of and you place an actual physical order for. Uh, yeah, a long time ago. So not quite pre-Amazon, but that Amazon only sold books back then. So ah, right. what happened then was that um, the person who was running their web digitization project, basically coming up with their online store, their e-commerce site, left. And they asked me, just, you know, look after till we find someone else. And they never found anyone else. So that was really how I got into IT um, and sort of have been in IT ever since. But... As to how it like really shapes my thinking, um, for me, that was the actually shaping thinking was the best part about having done a science degree um, because it's not so much what it teaches you. You know, very cool to figure out how, you know, the influenza virus works or, uh, you know, what, uh, what actually causes cholera. Um, well, cool to me. But what it really does is it teaches you a little bit of how to think. It teaches you how to think critically. It teaches you how to look at things differently than or, or in different ways, not just a single way. So I think I've really taken that throughout my career is looking at things and going, okay, we've got that. Uh, is there a better way of doing it? Um, and I mean, as you know, one of my things is always experiment, experiment, experiment. Um, and that I yes, suppose yes. also feeds back to those days. And I've always been the one that says, let's try it, try new things. If it works, we keep it. If it doesn't work, cool, we get rid of it. And that's also very much from the scientific process. So I think that that without realizing it, I have brought a lot of those two worlds together. Um, yeah. And yeah, also meant I understood how uh, what they were talking about when the pandemic hit. Ah, okay. Oh, actually, you did. You did know exactly what they were talking about when the pandemic hit. <laughs> and wait, how, like, okay, so, so you're saying, I think you just kind of said my brain thinking a lot also. So you're saying it's not more about, or rather it's not about um, what it is that they, they teaching you. It's more about like how it shapes your thought process around science that is, right? And do you think that's more of like a, a BSc thing or is it like these engineering courses? Because I'm, I'm asking that and this is like directly coming from myself because that's, I find that to be quite intriguing. Um, over the years, I'm from Varsity even now, and you and I talk a lot about this because like, I really process a lot of things with you. And it's like, I found myself in positions where it's like, cool, now Varsity taught me how to program, but the stuff that I can do now absolutely has nothing to do with what was going on in Varsity. How is it that I find myself in the space where I can implement the stuff that I can? And I realized that, like in a funny way, I used to hate modules. Now I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. 
these guys actually know exactly what they're doing. It's the thought process that they start engineering into your head where it's like, it's just a bunch of trial and error. It's a bunch of troubleshooting. Don't stop until you figure it out. And yeah, so I, 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 I don't know. I found that quite interesting, like that you took that from a completely different space into a technical space and you were coming from a, what, a genetic space. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it, it does underpin pretty much any degree, but they're going to have different nuances and different focus areas. So, you know, studying computer science um, at Varsity, it taught you, yes, taught you how to code, but in the background, it taught you how to understand how code was put together, which is more important than learning mm. what Java was. If you're not going to, you know, actually programming in Java. Mm. What, and, you know, likewise, you know, you might have studied um, an English degree, and that's going to teach you how to think about literature, for example. But what I think is so important, and this is actually not even at the varsity level, this is actually going down even to a school level, is that critical thinking becomes far more important as a lot of the tech tools emerge. So I did quite a few talks uh, and, and um, conversations with people in the education space. And that's really saying, okay, we've got ChatGPT now. We, we, we need to ban AI because they are, our students are, uh, are doing their homework using AI. And mm. you know, the genie's out of the box. You can't. You cannot get generative AI back in the box. You can ban ChatGPT, but there are going to be six other sites you can use that will do the same thing. But what you should yes, be doing yes. is saying, okay, here's the assignment. We expect you to use generative AI, but you've got to put your prompts in. You've got to put what you got out of it, and then you've got to critically analyze what it gave you. And then, uh, then that becomes your assignment. So in this world, even just with search engines, but especially when people are asking things of AI, and we all know that they should not be asking things of ChatGPT because it uh, talks a lot of bullshit. Great bullshit. Mm. Um, you've got to start thinking critically. You've got to say that when mm. it pops up with um, uh looking at development, they're looking at solid principles, and solid principles really are the worst way to go when you are building code. You've got to put your brain going, mm. pretty sure I read somewhere that was wrong, and then go and double check it mm. uh, somewhere else. Um, and I think that feeds back into, especially, I'm going to talk social media now, you know, is what Tapello is telling me truth, or is it opinion, or is it hearsay? Mm. And, you know, explaining this now to my, uh, to my nine-year-old and my seven-year-old, like, okay, well, that doesn't sound quite right. Are you sure? Yes. Like, I saw it on the internet. It must be true. It's like, no, mm. no, no. So that critical <laughs> thinking becomes more and more important the more pervasive technology is in mm. our lives, I think, basically. Yeah, I, I think that's actually quite, um, quite a, an interesting one. Um, how do we get to a point where, so, like, we're – we're in tech, we make tech, and we're always like trying to solve problems. We're innovative and we're trying to more, more, um, more making people's lives better than anything. But how do we get to a point where the stuff that we pay for people, um, when they consume them, they feel as if it's the golden standard. It's like, cause internally we know that there's, there's so much we learn from them. So, how do you make this application and it goes out to people and somewhere, somehow it becomes cool and like to me, um, if I'm part of Facebook's team, uh, a Facebook status is as good as a couple of strings and stuff like that. So it's whatever, but people will really take those words as law to a point where social media has such a huge influence on, um, on 
societal standards on societal um, movements and it can stop and start wars and all these different, how do we get to a point where like we make the tech and the consumers consume them differently? Is it really out of our control? Can we do something about it in the way that we develop it from an ethical point of view? It's, I mean, that is an interesting one. And obviously we in what they call web 2.0 being pretty much the age of social media. Um, data commoditization has become massive. Um, and when we talk about people believing it, it's because that content is pushed. Um, the, the more the more things go viral, the more content is pushed, the more they're going to push it because they are ultimately making some sort of money or some sort of revenue off it. Um, and I think that when we talk about ethical technology, it's not about the technology. Um, we hear this a lot with, with uh, artificial intelligence and AI, um, around, you know, what, you know, what, what, you know, the AI, you know, welcome our robot overlords, um, you know, what's AI going to do? But it's not about the AI. It's never been about the AI. It's never been about the tech. It's never been about the status. It's always been about the people. And technology itself is neither good nor bad. People can be good and bad. So the technology can be as good or as bad as the best or the worst person using it. So, as we've seen in certain cases, putting in guardrails and guidelines um, for the protection of people has come into play. It's also got a lot of negative feedback. Um, my view in general is that I would prefer that with, you know, be it Facebook, be it ChatGPT, be it whoever, I would prefer that they put those guardrails in rather than having a free for all free speech. Because I, mm. you know, as I try to tell my kids, um, words are harmful. You know, words can stick with you in your heart for far longer than, you know, a, a bruise from someone hitting you would. So, and, and it, it comes down to not quite how we regulate it, but how do we put guidelines and guardrails in to keep people safe without infringing on their, I suppose, fundamental rights of being. So there isn't an answer for this one. Um, you'll find lots of opinions, you'll find lots of diverse opinions, but as in terms of developing solutions, I think all we can do is be guided by our own morals and ethics. We obviously can be guided by the legislation and the regulation surrounding things. But ultimately, if you go in with a view of do no harm, Basically, whatever you're doing, try to make sure that it will do as little harm as possible, understanding that you probably can't get away with something happening, making some people upset. Maybe not harm. Maybe they're just going to be upset. Oh, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to have to book on Get Space every day. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, mm. true. But now we have a list when there's a fire in the building of uh, who's actually in the building that we need to check you off. Um, so yes, yes. It's, it's a balancing act. You're never going to get it 100% right. But it's back to, you know, mm. try it out, get feedback. Um, one of the things uh, you, you follow me on LinkedIn, so you see it quite often, it's um, build fast, build for value, and for the love of profit, get feedback from, uh, from your customer. And that's really, how I think, how you build ethically is you, you get feedback from the people who are going to be using it, um, what works, what doesn't work, and try to be guided by your conscience as much as by the bottom line. Uh, actually, so... I was actually about to ask you, where do we, where do you draw the line between um, consumer feedback or the people 
and what you know and believe to be okay actually let's scratch believe what you know to be right so like from our from our like we uh we built the get space solution right and there's a lot of like like employees who come to the office and it, like you said it feels like a tedious activity until one day the building starts doing something crazy and then that's when you need it but if you're going to base it off feedback from people then you might as well just not use get space you can just walk through and everything's well with the world so i suppose it depends you know when we're looking at that who are your consumers so like get space actually staff members are our users but they're not our consumers our consumers are in fact the building managers so the rio guys and uh, we do a great job we might add um because they're the ones who need the building statistics to be able to make uh, make decisions. They're the ones who need to have that list of people in the case that there is a an evacuation situation. So actually, you know, yes, so you, you take usability feedback from your users. How could this be better? But your your consumer actually isn't necessarily the person who's complaining about it's a pain in the ass. Um, you know, always it's a balancing act. And at the end of the day, it's going to be situational. Um, I was, when I was in, uh, doing my MBA many years ago, had an economics professor who would answer any question you asked him with one answer. It depends. And unfortunately, in this case, the answer is going to be, it depends. Depends on the new circumstances, depends on the product, depends on the consumer, depends on the user. Thank you for coming so far with our podcast. Uh, please make sure to give us a follow and stay tuned in for episode two. We got some great competitions and Alex wrote a book called Risking Relevance, Why Businesses Can't Afford to Ignore Web3 and that's up for grabs as well as some Rocket Lab merchandise.